Welcome back to Accepted Secrets of New York City School Admissions with Alina Adams, author of the ebook Getting into New York City Kindergarten. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2016. Now, if you've been listening, you know we've talked about Kindergarten Connect, Magnet Programs, Special Needs Schools. Um, Alina, what else? Well, we've talked about charter schools, religious schools, both independent and not, progressive versus traditional schools, gifted schools, public versus private, how to get into those, as well as how to prep your kids for the test that they'll have to take for both private and public school, what your preschool director can do to help you through the process. They're a very important ally, ally to have. Um, also, the difference between private, pre-K, and Universal Pre-K, and all of those podcasts are available. So if you just go back and check by the subject, you'll be able to get a lot more detail on each one of those subjects. Excellent. So, 2016, we're going to kick it off with dual language programs. What are they? How do they work? Why do parents choose them? Okay, first, what are they? What are they? There are two kinds of dual language programs. Some of them spend one day teaching in English and the other day teaching in the other language. Those programs can include Spanish, French, Korean, Japanese, Russian. There's all sorts of varieties. And there are schools where, for dual language, they might do half the day in English and the other half of the day in the other language. Why do parents choose them? There's a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's because that's the language that the child speaks at home and they'd like to maintain it. They'd like them to learn how to read and write. Sometimes it's because the child didn't get into a gifted and talented program. As we've talked about before, New York City is overrun with gifted and talented children. Hundreds of more children qualify for gifted and talented programs and there are seats for them in gifted schools. So parents who don't want their children to not be challenged might opt for a dual language program because even though they're learning the same general ed curriculum, they're learning half of it in English and half of it in another language. Also, there's just some parents who feel, you know, this is a very international world these days, and it's certainly beneficial to know a second language. Can't argue with that. Now, how do you start to apply for a dual language program? Well, here's the thing. Most dual language programs are part of a general ed school. There was a time when you would apply to a dual language program differently than to the mono language at the same school. So on Kindergarten Connect, the form that we've been talking about, when you ranked your choices, you would put, say, for instance, there's a school called PS84, which has a dual language French program and a dual language Spanish program and a mono language program. You would rank them as if they were three separate choices. Then last year, literally in the middle of the process, if you're not the kind of person who's constantly checking the DOE website for updates, you might have missed it. They changed that. And they said that first you need to apply to the school. And then once you get into the school, then you can ask to apply to a dual language program. This turned out to be quite a disaster because there were a lot of people who only wanted certain schools for the dual language programs. They didn't want them for the general ed. Mm -hmm. And because in some schools, people weren't told until June whether their child had got into the dual language program or not, they opted for other choices. So this year, it looks like they've gone back to the original model, at least at last look. But who knows, maybe in the middle of the season, they'll change it again. As we've covered over and over again, they've already changed the deadline for G&T applications. They've changed uh, the deadlines, or at least the dates, for when you can apply to Kindergarten Connect. They're promising that this year you'll know where you got into as early as March. They love to change the deadlines. We'll see what happens. Okay, and 
How do they stay up to date on deadline changes? Well, if they buy my book, then at the end of it, there's a link and they can sign up for a mailing list where anytime there's a change anywhere in the process, be it public school, private school, Hunter College, religious school, I send out an email so that parents are right on it. Okay. Now, you said um, dual language program and public school programs can be applied to through Kindergarten Connect. What about charter schools or private schools? Well, for charter schools, you can apply to the dual language charter school directly, or there's going to be a Charter Center's common app. A lot of charter schools also have dual language programs. As for private schools, you have schools like the Lycée Francais, you have the Italian American School, you have Big Apple Academy, which is uh, teaches Russian, you have the New York International School, which just opened, and they're offering an immersive Spanish and Mandarin dual language program. There, you apply directly to the school like any other private school. Okay. So, think dual language might be a good fit for your child? When we come back, Alina talked to a dad who's seen it work and seen it fail. Plus, later on, we'll hear from the CEO of the Hebrew Charter School Center about their innovative approach to teaching a second language. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Accepted Secrets of New York City School Admissions with Alina Adams, author of the ebook Getting Into New York City Kindergarten. I'm Victoria Chapman, and it's been a big question. How do you know if your child will thrive in a dual language program? Now, Dan Ellish, the author of the children's books, The School for the Insanely Gifted, and the Worldwide Dessert Contest, had two children in dual language programs. It worked really, really well for one, not so well for the other. Alina sat with him and he shared his experiences as well as tips for what parents should look for in a dual language program. Listen in. Hey, Dan. Welcome to Getting Into NYC Kindergarten. Hey, how are you? I'm good, and we are going to talk about choices you've made for your kids. So let me ask you this. Why did you decide to send your children to a dual language program? Well, um, to be honest, it wasn't completely my choice. My wife, um, Andrea, grew up in Mexico, so she speaks Spanish, and then she went to graduate school in France, so she speaks French. So it's like very, very important to her. I, ironically, I was terrible at French growing up. It was my worst subject. But the school that opened, PS84 Nears, had this great dual language French program that was opening right when my oldest daughter was considering uh, kindergarten. And we went for it, and it turned out to be a really great thing. So what did she get out of being in a dual language program? Well, um, it really, I think for her, she naturally was kind of good at languages. She seems to have my wife's gift for doing it. Um, and uh, she got out of it. She went PS84 from kindergarten through fifth grade, and she happened to have a really good class, a really good uh class kids, which I think is important because um, you're in the same class with the same kids for six years. Is that because there's only one class of dual language, so they don't mix the kids around? Yes, but actually I think PS84 now it's so popular, there's two classes of French. So, um, but I think in general, uh, though people would have to ask at each school year, you're pretty much with the same group of kids, and that can be 
with my daughter, it was great. They're really nice kids. They they grew up together, became very close. I think they're all very ready to go to different middle schools and meet new people. But um, they uh, and you know what was good about it is that um, you know she learned what she needed to in terms of English, but she she and her friends, most of them, really did graduate. Um, pretty fluent in French. They certainly seem fluent to me. Now, how does it work? Do they do half the day in French, half the day in English? Do they, do they do the same assignments in both languages? How does a program like that work? Um, the program worked is that they did um, they did every other day. They did a whole day mm. English, then a whole day French. And then I think Fridays was half English, half French. And um, even math was in French. You know, everything was in French except extra things like art and music were always in English. Everything else was always in French. So the program worked really well for your daughter, and then you sent your son, and it didn't work quite as well for him. Why? It did not. I think um, he sort of just, he's a different kid. He's really bright. He's a great reader. He just didn't really like the French, and maybe it was overwhelming to him, and he kind of tuned it out. And we kind of, um, after second grade, thought he'd be better just in a monolingual, uh, just all monolingual, so we switched him. Um, there are other kids and other friends of his who were kind of going through the same thing, and they kind of stuck it out. And um, then enough French sinks into their brain, and suddenly they can do it. But we sort of uh, felt it was right for him to bail on it. So I guess the message is uh, keep an eye on your kid. I think it's a great thing, but depending on um, your individual child, it might be right, it might not be. So what would you advise parents who are looking at a dual language program? What should they look for in a program, and what do you think they should look at in their child to see if it'll be a good fit? That's a good question. Well, I guess the program, just to see if it's um, talk to other parents who've been there to think if they think it's good, if the teacher's just like any other school, mm -hmm. is, it, is the school clean or the teachers? <laughs> the teachers clean. Is everybody clean? No. <laughs> is it all good? Um, the, the usual things apply. Um, I think it's good um, to make sure your kid just keep an eye on it, um, that they're learning what they need to learn in terms of English because there's obviously less time with that. I mean, um, you know, in, by first grade or second grade, they're actually spending half their writing time writing in French, mm -hmm. which is going to mean they're going to have less time uh, for English. So that's something to keep to keep an eye on. But I think just, um, and what was the second part of the question? I, what do you, should you look for in your child? Because you had the two different oh. experiences with two different kids. What child will thrive in a dual language program? Um, it's. I think in our experience, it was a little hard to tell. It was a little trial and error. You know, we went for it, and it worked out great with our older, and so we went with it with the younger. And I feel there's a, there's a bunch of families like that who uh, maybe works really one for one and not both. And uh, and there's some families I know who may, maybe their kid wasn't as naturally good at a language. It is true if you keep them in, in it for five or six years, they will leave knowing a lot of that other language. They may not be fluent, but they'll know a lot. So um, it's just I think it's a worthwhile thing to try. And just keep your eye on as they go through. All right. Thank you so much, Dan, for sharing your experience with us. We really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Anytime. Excellent. Now, it can be really hard to know when your child's only four years old what kind of learner they'll be and whether dual language 
is a good fit. Straight ahead, Alina talks with John Rosenberg, CEO of the Hebrew Charter School Center, about how they make sure every child succeeds in both languages and how they're able to achieve true student body diversity. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Accepted Secrets of New York City School Admissions with Alina Adams, author of the ebook Getting into New York City Kindergarten. Now, it's no secret New York City has some of the most segregated schools in America, but a surprising exception the Hebrew charter schools. What's the appeal? How's it achieved? How do they make it work? And is there a danger of blurring church and state when the language you're teaching also has religious connotations? The center's CEO, John Rosenberg, has all the answers. He spoke with Alina recently. Hello, John. Welcome to Getting Into NYC Kindergarten. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So my first question is, how does the dual language program at the Harlem Hebrew Charter School and your other charter schools work? So we have two schools in New York, actually, three uh, in that our, our school in Mill Basin in Brooklyn has both an elementary school and a middle school. And then, as you noted, we have Harlem Hebrew. Our programs use what's called a partial immersion model. So we have a number of uh, Israeli, for the most part, teachers, typically one Israeli Hebrew teacher and one general studies teacher in each and every classroom. And for one hour Every single day, kids do a total immersion in Hebrew, where the Israeli teacher only speaks to them in that language. That's the core instructional block in Hebrew. Uh, in addition, subjects such as science, social studies, specials such as music and art and physical education, and periods of the day like recess and hallway transitions are all opportunities where the Hebrew-speaking faculty can also do what I would consider mini-immersions with kids. And so, for example, in a social studies lesson, part of that lesson might be taught in Hebrew and the balance of it in English. Now, in a public school program, it is the exact same general education curriculum, but simply taught in a different language. Is it the same in a charter school, or do you have a different model? We have a different model. Um, so we use what's called the proficiency approach for teaching Hebrew, and that is a kind of gold standard of the American Council for the Teaching of Foreign Languages. The kids are immersed, beginning in kindergarten, in modern Hebrew as the daily language of life. In other words, they learn about neighbors and friends and everyday objects. They don't start out learning the, uh, you know, the written alphabet or learning how to read. They start by acquiring language in the way all children, uh, beginning with infants, acquire language uh, as a natural spoken and listened to language. And in that text, the uh, curriculum and the hour instructional block is really focused on gradually expanding the range of topics and the depth and sophistication of content over a period of years. Mm -hmm. Kids become increasingly fluent. In addition, uh, if you think about uh, a French private school, like the French Lycée, mm -hmm. there's a significant focus not only on French language, but on the culture and history that undergirds that language, mm -hmm. right? And we do the same thing. So we have a supplemental social studies curriculum that focuses on the culture and history of Israel and its immigrant communities. And because our student populations are so diverse, we are what are considered to be diverse by design charter schools, 
students from all different racial and economic backgrounds attend our schools, it's an opportunity for students to explore their own diverse backgrounds while learning about the cultures and histories of the different people in Israel. Well, let me follow up on that. You mentioned that you have a very diverse student body, so you obviously have many students who are not Jewish students for whom Hebrew is, is not a cultural language. What is the appeal to them of coming to a school that teaches Hebrew? It's a great question. You know, we're huge fans, broadly, of linguistic diversity, right? So there's a, a sister charter school of ours in, in New York City called the Hellenic Charter Academy, mm -hmm. which is Greek. And Greek, like Hebrew, is not a, what you would consider a major world language, right? I mean, mm -hmm. millions of people speak both languages. In, in the case of Greek, both in Greece and internationally. Mm -hmm. and in the case of modern Hebrew, both in Israel and around the world. Uh, it's not like Mandarin, right? Right. At, at, at the same time... Uh, not every kid in the United States should be learning Mandarin. Right? Uh, and, and Hebrew is a very difficult language that is rated on a one to four scale uh, in terms of language difficulty for English speakers. It's rated three. Languages like Mandarin, Japanese, Korean, Arabic are rated fours. Uh, a language like French and Spanish, for example, are ones. German's a two. Okay, so you get a feel mm -hmm. for the distribution. Hebrew is pitched at a level of complexity where kids are really challenged, but not kind of overwhelmingly challenged. They're learning a different alphabetic system. They're learning a language that's in a different language family. It's mm -hmm. not an Indo-European language. Like Arabic, it is a Semitic language. And there are huge cognitive benefits for kids over uh, over their entire lives to learn the kind of code switching and differences in thinking uh, and in perspective that come with mastering a language like that. That's one reason. A second reason is a lot of families are looking for better school options. Mm -hmm. And uh, our schools are really good schools. <laughs> and so as schools of choice, they may not be focused on Hebrew so much as the fact that the schools are diverse, that they have a mix of, of middle-income and lower-income families, that they are charter schools, may, public charters may be part of the appeal. Uh, in some cases, they really want their kids to learn another language, and they're not particularly concerned about which other language. And then we have a lot of families who just have an interest or affinity for, for Hebrew. And, and to be clear, unlike a school, like a classical model school that teaches Latin, Right? We're not teaching biblical Hebrew or ancient mm -hmm. Hebrew. We're teaching modern Hebrew, which, although it is based on ancient Hebrew, is not a religious language. It is the language of daily life used by most people in Israel. Uh, and, and so, like other languages around the world, it's taught as a spoken, living language, not as a language of, you know, based on ancient text study. Well, you mentioned the Lycée Francais, and you mentioned the Hellenic Charter School, and then you mentioned yep. about teaching culture as part of the language. How do you teach Hebrew, which is still a Jewish language, without teaching religion and breaking the law? <laughs> so we actually, when we launched our first school a number of years ago, we actually had a First Amendment committee to grapple with these issues. Uh, you know, full disclosure, I myself am a uh, former civil rights lawyer working on issues of education and discrimination and equity. I know this stuff really, really well. Uh, we, we are scrupulous about church-state law. And, and look, here's one way to think about it. If you're teaching the history of the United States and you start with the Puritans, right, uh, or if you teach about the expansion of religious freedom in the U.S. and the arrival of all different groups uh, of, of worshipers uh, or the rise of secularism uh, in the U.S. and of atheism, any of these topics, you're intrinsically grappling with religious issues, but you're not engaged in religious practice, mm -hmm. not engaged in worship. The study of religion, right, is different from engaging in religious instruction. And so every school that touches 
on issues of religion, and typically as part of social studies, needs to be aware of that divide. But we're very careful. Our schools, for example, follow the New York City public school calendar mm-hmm. that all New York City district schools follow. Um, our schools do not respect or viewpoint above, above others. That's not the mission of, of public educators. And there's an awful lot that one can teach about around Israel, uh, around Hebrew, around history and culture that is not intrinsically about religion. Uh-huh. Right? So the last thing I'll say on this subject is unlike someone who says that they are Methodist, for example, or a Buddhist, saying that you're Jewish actually encompasses a lot of different things, and they're not the same for everyone. So some people are Jewish but not religious. They view their Judaism or their Jewishness is probably more how they would describe it as a matter of maybe ethnicity, culture, history, ancestry, any of a number of things. And for some people, that might tie into issues around Israel and learning about Israel and learning about Hebrew, but it's not always about religion. And so one of the things that's complex is that Hebrew for people raises a set of associations where they naturally think Jewish. And when they hear Jewish, they naturally think religious. I think the truth is actually a lot more complicated than that. And as I said earlier, it's entirely possible, as we do, to teach subjects like modern Hebrew and the study of Israel without having a school be a uh, a, a school that's engaging in religious instruction or that's crossing any kind of church state line. John, thank you so much. That's certainly a lot to think about. I really appreciate you being with us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, so French, Spanish, Mandarin, Hebrew, Russian, Japanese, Korean, Italian, Greek, Arabic, public, private, charter. New York City parents really have a lot of options. And we're here to help you navigate them all. So, Alina, are there, is there any way to really maximize, a parent can maximize the chances of getting their child into a dual language program? There actually is. Most of the dual language programs, especially the public ones, but really all of them, they rely on having half the kids be native English speakers and half the kids be native speakers in the other language, as John earlier talked about there being some Israeli kids in in his particular school. So if your child is a native speaker of the other language, you will jump the queue, in a sense, to get into the program. And here's the thing. Most programs want the kids to be 50-50, but it doesn't always happen. And then they get very generous with what a native speaker is. It might Hmm. be that your child was in a Spanish language playgroup, or it might be that one of the parents speaks French, or it might be that the nanny speaks Spanish. The fact is, if they don't have enough kids to fill it out, they can get very generous with their definition. So if you definitely want your child to be in a dual language program, you might consider putting them in a playgroup or giving them some sort of lessons in the language that you'd like them to study. Now, do be advised that on Kindergarten Connect, the form that we've been talking about rather incessantly, yes. there is a spot where you can mark that your child is a native speaker. That will give your child priority in the program. That does mean, though, that if you get into the program, they will call your child into the school and they will test your child and see if your child really is a native speaker and you might lose your spot. But as I've said before, if they need kids to fill out the program, then you're definitely going to be at the top of the list. Okay, great. Now we've got a question from a listener. 
How do the test scores of kids in dual language programs measure up against those in mono language programs? Well, as always, we say there are many, many, many different kinds of programs. Many different public school dual language programs. Many different charter school dual language programs. Many different private school dual language programs. But. As a rule, the kids who are in a dual language program tend to do not as well on the standardized tests as the kids who are in mono language because one of the things they test is English, and these kids are speaking English and learning English half the time because even if they're doing other subjects in English, in not in English, that's the time when they're not hearing the English language. But all that said, we're really just talking about standardized test scores, and there's certainly more to life than standardized test scores and the sort of opportunities. That are open for kids who speak two languages are really the kind of opportunities that can't be measured by a number. Okay, well, I guess there you go. Have it. So um, now. Don't forget, Kindergarten Connect is getting ready to close. Well, the date that we were given by the DOE for the last day that you can file a Kindergarten Connect application is January 15th. They might change it at the last minute. They've been known to push back deadlines in the past if they feel they haven't gotten enough applications. But since you've been listening to me, and you have been listening to me because I've been talking incessantly for months now, please try to fill out your form as soon as you can, if only so that you can get it off your mind and move on with your life. So whether or not the DOE decides to change their deadline, make a plan to finish filling out the Kindergarten Connect form by January 15th. Okay, and fill us back in on your book and your um, upcoming engagements. Well, you can find out all about that on www.alinaadams.com. My book is Getting into New York City Kindergarten. And if after all of the talking, there's still a couple of things you'd like to check, there's lots of information in the book. What's also in the book is a lot of links to studies about things like the value of a dual language program, progressive versus traditional education, single sex versus co-ed education. So if you have questions before you finish filling out your Kindergarten Connect, check the book. There's plenty of studies and information there. Okay. Next week, we're going to recap a little bit more about Kindergarten Connect, what to expect for the spring, and keeping an eye towards September 2017. I know it's only 2016, but we are already starting the process for September 2017, (laughs) getting your kid into kindergarten. We'll see you next week.